Welcome to Fertility Cafe, the home for every conversation exploring alternative family building through IVF, surrogacy, egg, sperm, and embryo donation. Our host, Eloise Drain, alternates episodes between educational shows covering specific topics and guest narratives for further insight. For a mastery, understanding, and confidence in all things alternative family, subscribe to Fertility Cafe. Hey there, welcome to episode 97 of Fertility Cafe. The fertility world is filled with possibilities. It's a broad and fascinating topic. Today's episode is all about exploring the link between environmental factors and reproductive health. We're talking about how lifestyle choices and everyday products can even impact fertility. And of course, we're also going to be delving into IVF to uncover its advancements, challenges, and its potential future. Getting into fertility treatments requires informed decision-making and self-advocacy. It's vital to grasp your options, rights, and how to prepare yourself before seeking comprehensive care. My guest on today's show is the one and only egg whisperer, Dr. Amy. Based in the San Francisco Bay Area, she has been helping thousands of people from all over the world to have babies since 2008. In our conversation, Dr. Amy discusses her mission to help people bring more love into their lives by having the families they've always dreamed of. She also shares her thoughts on the impact of environmental factors on fertility, the role of technology in fertility treatments, and the importance of advocating for oneself in the fertility journey. Dr. Amy Ivazita is a Harvard-educated, board-certified OBGYN specializing in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. She has been featured in magazines like People and Marie Claire and has been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS Morning, along with a number of local and international newscasts. In her off time, Dr. Amy is a mom to four rambunctious young kids aged eight and under. Uh, Dr. Amy, it's so great to have you here today joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, Eloise, thank you for having me on today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a really long time. Well, awesome. So first, let's just kind of jump into a little bit of your background, because before I even got on the recording and I was telling you how like you are a superwoman for me. So, <laughs> so share just a little bit about you. Yeah, I'm a doctor that is on a mission, and that's to help people bring more love into their lives. And that's through having the family that they always dreamed of. And it's not just a mission that's based on interacting with patients one-on-one -on -one here in my office. It's also a mission of trying to reach out to people all over the world to learn about their fertility, to ask questions, to get tested before it's too late, and to really advocate for themselves. And that takes a lot of work. So that means mm -hmm. I'm running around all day long with my sneakers on. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm just so lucky that I love what I do. And I jump out of bed every single day doing it. And I've been doing this now in my private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area for almost 15 years, actually over 15 years. I didn't want to admit it to myself the other day, but I'm proud to say that I've been in practice now since 2008 helping thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people have babies from all over the world. And I just got started. Mm, I love that. I love that. So 
let's, you know, because I know the importance of education and really meeting people where they're at. And I'm sure you saw recently where is now one in six people are dealing with infertility now. And that's just what we know, what we're guessing. I mean, this is it's studies and all of that, but it's still an estimate that I don't even know if it's 100% true. And funny enough, I also started my agency 15 years ago in 2008. And when I started, it was, if I recall, it was either one in 12, I think. Now it's one in six. And I really do feel the environment has something to do with it, just all of the things. So kind of wanted to get your perspective on that. Yeah. I mean, what I teach my patients is 100% of us will have infertility. And the reason is that we will all run out of our eggs as women. Mm -hmm. And the key is to not run out before your desire to have more babies has run out. And that's the hard part is you meet these patients as well. So women whose eggs have run out, but the desire has not because it doesn't happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's the hard thing is why are we running out of healthy eggs before it's too late? And the reason is age, genetics, and then the environment. And then why hasn't our society caught up with what's biologically happening to us as women? You know, you've probably heard all these things. If men run out of sperm, there would be a cure, you know, oh, yeah. we, you know, we just, you never heard one negative story around Robert De Niro having a baby in his seventies. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Not one person, not one person got on TV and said, what was he thinking? He's too old. How irresponsible is that? But for some reason, as a woman, even in your early forties, patients are shamed mm -hmm. and they're made to think that you're so irresponsible. Don't you know when you're going to die? Do you know how old you're going to be when your child's in college? And I just call that bullshit. You know, mm -hmm. it's just so incredibly unfair that we have this fertility gender gap. So I just find myself just getting more and more fired up every single day about what I can do to help women when they're at that time in their life where no one else is believing in them. And then I'm like, I see you as a fertile person. I see <laughs> you as the person you want to be seen. But aside from age, I do think we're being poisoned from the minute we are a tiny little embryo. And even for generations before that, mm -hmm. our mothers were poisoned. Our grandmothers were poisoned. I mean, it's just unreal that we find plastics in placenta, microplastics, mm -hmm. you know? So that just speaks to our fertility decline is happening even before we're born. Mm -hmm. That goes for sperm quality and egg quality. And it's just going to get worse over time. Mm -hmm. So I predict a time where 100% of people are going to be freezing their eggs and sperm mm -hmm. by the time they're 25, if we want to continue to survive as a society, just because of how we're poisoning ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I do get excited about certain technology. You know, you hear about the nuclear mitochondrial transfer, NMT technology, like the three parent IVF. You know, there was a recent study just published out of the UK about that. And they were, they've done it successfully in women who went through IVF, who didn't have normal embryos. I'm very excited about a clinical trial right now at Columbia University, looking at a drug called rapamycin to reverse ovarian aging. Mm -hmm. It's just pills you take. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible huh. if a woman could take pills and then you would have 
more eggs. And then you, I mean, you and I do egg donor, you know, we specialize in creative mm-hmm. family building, but wouldn't it be incredible to, you know, obviously there's going to be families that need it. Like, you know, yep. the two daddy couple, like they're always going to, there's always going to be a need for egg donors That's as long right. as I live. But I think it would be great for like that 37 year old woman who still isn't able to make a healthy embryo to be like, take this prescription, you know, wait three months. And then we're going to do your IVF and we're going to see healthier embryos. Or maybe you're even going to be taking that drug before your IVF cycle Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or even your egg freezing cycle. Maybe it's going to help be a preventive measure for women who even, you know, maybe they want to delay menopause, who knows? So I'm really excited about the fact that a university like Columbia has this clinical trial. It just means to me, we might be seeing more of this kind of stuff in our future. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. And you mentioned the plastic and how this is, quite frankly, a generational issue and stemmed probably infertility have stemmed from just our moms and our grandmothers and everything else. And I think as we are now kind of taking up the charge and kind of making ourselves the educators on these subjects and talking about it. I think it's also something that's important for us to begin having the discussions with our own children and preparing information out there for our grandchildren. I'm a mom of five. I don't have any grandchildren yet, although they could come at any point. No rush. And, (laughs) but I do think about my children and my grandchildren. And luckily, thank God, none of them have any infertility issues that we uh, know of. Although my daughter did have an ovarian torsion and had some issues there, but going to the idea of having to, because now I just lost my train. You know what? This menopause shit is real. I think we're the same age. How old are you, Eloise? I'm 48. Okay, I'm 47. We're the same age. That's so fun. I'm like, it. oh my, I literally was on track with something and I totally forgot yeah. what the hell I was just yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. But anyway, yeah. so my point is we're talking about the past history, but let's kind of talk about the future and the responsibility that I think we as a society needs to start talking to children now, not just about sex education but about overall reproductive health and then how to help now for your fertility and then what you can do in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think as soon as a girl starts her period, she should be taught about everything. She should be taught about all the gynecologic conditions that can happen. like, And even teach her about her menstrual cycle, the different phases of her cycle. She shouldn't wait until she's like 35 and trying to conceive and then realize that, oh, I only ovulate one day a month. This is when it is. This is how you track ovulation. I shouldn't be making a diagnosis of PCOS for someone who's been suffering from PCOS for 15 years Mm. when they're 38 years old. You know what I mean? Those things shouldn't happen. So if we did a better job just educating young people about all the things, and it's really easy. It's like there's PCOS, endometriosis, fibroids. You know, you can run out of eggs early. You can have an autoimmune condition like thyroid stuff. Let's just get educated about our bodies and not to sidetrack, but this is why I love the idea of everyone joining my egg freezing party once in their life. Mm-hmm. Because an egg freezing party isn't about selling egg freezing. It's about teaching about your body because they mm. go through all that stuff. 
So that's why I started egg freezing party back in 2014. It wasn't because I wanted to freeze people's eggs. It was part of my mission to educate people about their fertility. And I captured the young, younger audiences, women between 20 and 25. And that was really great for me because I, they listened because those women have now frozen their eggs. I just had someone reach back out seven years ago. You told me if I hadn't frozen my eggs by the time I was 32, I should freeze my eggs. I'm ready now. I'm 33 you know, when can I come in? So I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, am I that old? <laughs> but people are listening to those messages now and it's very rewarding and satisfying, but I totally agree. We got to get the message out to the young people, you know, before they graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about your egg freezing parties? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're a fabulous way to learn about fertility. I now do them mostly online and I do them for corporations like Amazon or, you know, a company that's like, I'm doing one for like a medical society, like a, like a club, different clubs um, or universe, you know, universities will invite me in and I'll just educate about fertility. It's like a 20 minute slideshow, you know, scientific presentation basically. And then a live Q and A. And I can usually predict like what I know what questions people are going to ask at this point. And sometimes people share one-on-one personal stories with me as well, or through the the live chat. So it's, it's a, it's just a fun opportunity for me to kind of travel without traveling anymore. Mm-hmm. But I used to give them all over the country and I used to have people from all over the world come in for these parties to just cover them and then share them with their own country. And do the egg freezing parties, is it about educating one on you should freeze your eggs. How does the process work? What would that look like? Who should consider freezing their eggs? Yeah, all of that. I mean, I basically talk about how it's an it's an insurance policy that you can guarantee yourself another chance. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's not an insurance plan. It's an insurance policy for a future chance. And mm-hmm. that is all. Because there's so many gimmicks out there that you can have it all. I'm like, girl, let me tell you, you cannot. <laughs> you can't. And I'm going to have to break it to you that egg freezing doesn't work all the time. Yeah. And a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times people aren't freezing enough. And then they decide to use their eggs when it's too late. And then they haven't frozen. So I always tell people if you're going to freeze, let's say at 33, and you're going to plan on using them at 46, freeze again before you run out of eggs because you just don't know what's going to happen when you thaw them. Mm-hmm. What do you think of, you know, I know we we're talking a lot about women and a lot of times we kind of, when we think about infertility, we instantly think that it's always a woman's fault and not necessarily the man. And there are environmental factors that affect men as well. We don't really talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I always say it's always nice to have sperm on ice. So I highly recommend sperm freezing. So my boys will have their sperm frozen when they go off to college. It's just going to be done for them. It's obviously a lot easier for guys to do than for women because of how it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the prediction is everyone's going to need IVF maybe in two generations to come because the sperm counts will be too low for people to make a baby in bed. So IVF is going to be the only way people will be able to reproduce because of how we're being poisoned from the minute we implant. Mm. Are there certain environmental factors that are more harmful to fertility at different stages of life? Yeah. I mean, not necessarily different stages, but I would say like the the big ones are pollution and then lifestyle stuff like smoking. Some people are exposed to secondhand smoke from the time they're born until they leave their homes. And then they deal with early menopause, low sperm. The the good thing about cigarettes on sperm though, is that it's fairly, it's for the most part reversible. 
So that's good mm-hmm. um, because of the sperm life cycle. But I would say the biggest environmental factors that I see in my practice that affect fertility are obesity, smoking, drug use, like alcohol use, and then all the stuff that we're just like the pollution everywhere. Mm-hmm. And plastics and yeah, yeah. yeah the microplastics, all yeah. the environmental yeah. toxicants, definitely. So let's discuss real quick the endocrine disruptors, which some listeners may be unfamiliar with. So would you mind sharing a little bit about what that is? These are things that are in our everyday products that can affect our hormones. They can also be considered carcinogens. So phthalates, it's a hard word for me to pronounce, <laughs> um, but uh, and there, I, I love the company millionmarkers.com. I don't know if you've heard of that company, oh, uh-uh. Million Markers. So they have a urine test that actually can test your plastic level in your urine. And one of the things that I also love about their website is if you go to their website, you can actually look at all their approved products. So shampoo, deodorant, lotion, everything, makeup. And I know the, the CEO of the company. I think she's fabulous. And so I trust everything that she says. So whenever someone asks me like, what shampoo should I use? What lotion should I use? she makes me look smart because I know she's already done the homework. So I just Mm. go to the website. I say, these are the products you should use. So she's done a great job making it really easy to understand. And I actually recommend that test to some of my patients who are really concerned about their plastic exposure. Wow. I never even knew that that website existed. Yeah. Okay. I'm definitely going to put that on the show notes to... You should talk to her, Dr. Jenna Hua. Yes. Yes. Definitely something to to um, have a discussion about. So I know we've been talking about the environment and patients having to deal with infertility, but then you finally find out you have infertility issues or you have problems or whatever, and you need to see a reproductive endocrinologist, and then you find one and they don't help you. Yeah or they give you the runaround or the experience you've had so far has been horrible. Right. Um, right. And that unfortunately seems to be a theme right now. I mean, my thoughts are things have definitely shifted. I would say five years ago, people would have like signs in their office, like don't go to Dr. Google or like I'm better than Dr. Google or something like that. Like mm-hmm. don't Google and I feel like now our culture has shifted where doctors are considering questions as nagging. And then they wonder why you haven't Googled it. Mm. Like, why are you even asking me when you can go to Google? And I feel like now it's almost going to get worse because people have chat GPT. Yep. So why are you asking me that question? You could have put it in chat GPT and read the answer. Like, why are you even bothering me? Mm-hmm. And I think in my head that maybe there's going to be a time where a clinic is going to market themselves as we are AI free. (laughs) We answer all your questions without AI. Mm. But I feel like there, I think patients have this assumption that doctors know everything about them and we don't. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to present your information. When you're a new patient, you are responsible for getting all your medical records. If you want to be a really good patient, summarize those records ahead of time. Mm Like if I see a patient, I'll be like, oh, you had this surgery. And she's like, well, I also had this other surgery. And I'm like, oh, well, I really like those medical records. I'd like those op reports. Well, why didn't you get them? I'm like, but you didn't, I didn't know you had them. You didn't tell me you had them. How would I know? Well, I just thought, you know, you have a system where you can just see everything, but that's just unfortunately not how our healthcare system works. But I think sometimes people just assume that that's the case. 
So the way I practice is with each contact with the patient, I provide them a summary of what we talked about, what the plan is. They also always know their diagnosis, their prognosis, and their treatment plan. They know what they're doing and why. And I deliver that information in several ways, through email, through you know, in person, through the phone. So they're hopefully, if there is a confusion, they always know what, you know, they can refer to the notes or always reach out to me and ask. But when I hear these stories of people going to clinics and no one knows who they are, mm-hmm. they have no idea why they're there. So mm-hmm. I feel like patients need to present a companion, like some sort of document that says like, just here's my summary. And I'm trying to create that. I'm trying to create that right now with a company, an AI company, so that when patients go into a fertility clinic, everyone knows who they are. Mm-hmm. And it's going to all be right there, really beautiful and summarized. And maybe patients can even upload like really cute pictures of themselves that with animation, you know, so people mm-hmm. can remember them with their cute puppy or whatever their hobby or whatever it is they do. So p- we kind of have to, you know, step it up a little bit to take really good care of patients because of the massive amount of patients that clinics are seeing. Right. And there lies the problem. Not that, you know, you don't want a clinic to exist, but the fact that there is massive people having to come to fertility clinics now because of all of the things that are going on, environment, you know, cancer, whatever it might be. And then you end up having to finally make that decision like, okay, I need to go and see a fertility specialist. And then the overall experience sucked. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the clinics, unfortunately, they're not as, um, when it comes to that kind of situation, it's not a big deal because for that one patient that's pissed off, they have 500 patients that are waiting to get in. Mm. So for me, I'm just such a, I, I can't handle that kind of stuff. So like we you know, I, I go above and beyond with each interaction. At least I try to, if someone doesn't like me, I can't say that I didn't try. Right. And I know right. there's going to be people that find me irritating. My sister certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got plenty of those and yeah, uh, likewise. So what are some recommendations for how people can protect themselves from dangerous exposures but then also advocate for themselves when they do finally like, okay, I, I'm going to have to go see a specialist and figure out what's going on. So when you're saying dangerous exposures, do you mean like environmental stuff? Yes. Sorry. For environmental stuff. I mean, I think it's just so hard because no matter what you do, you're always going to be exposed to something. So I, there's a condition that's called orthorexia. I don't know if you've heard about it before. So it's kind of like, think of, it's basically an obsession with everything being organic, Mm. you know, like it, and it's, it's just, it's a disorder. And I feel like there's so many fertility patients that have that. Like I had a patient call me once and she was like, I'm, I'm at the restaurant. They gave me bread that was not gluten-free. Should I throw it up? And I'm like, what? I mean, like, that's how disturbed she was. Cause like, she's been controlling everything. And it was so disturbing to her that she had something that she thought that was going to poison her and her fertility that she was going to make herself throw up. Mm -hmm. We've kind of gotten there for a lot of fertility patients. A lot of fertility patients are just obsessed with the products they use, fragrances. I mean, I think the easiest things to do are just put a filter on your water at home, make sure it's filtered. If you want to get one of those air purifiers, that would be great too for your home. You know, look at your fragrances, look at your shampoos, the stuff that you're putting on your body all the time, like your deodorant, and just see what you can just easily switch out. But at the end of the day, like putting on a little bit of perfume on occasion is is not going to harm you. Mm-hmm. I would just say to people, 
just be gentle with yourself when it comes mm. to stuff. Mm-hmm. And simple things too, of just, you know, not using plastic and changing, you know, the oh, Tupperware at home instead of totally using glass. glass. Yeah. Absolutely. Use glass. Don't microwave plastic and, you know, reheat stuff in plastic. So what do you think are the steps for a successful IVF journey? I mean, the first thing, even before you start, start getting educated, you know, go online, take a class. Like you can take one of my IVF classes. I have them through eggwhisperschool.com. Okay. There's so many different ways of learning about IVF. Just get, you know, get a little bit of knowledge before you go in. And then even before that, get some tests done, right? And if it's been a while since you've had tests, do them again. So FSH, estradiol, AMH, make sure you've had your carrier screen. If you think you should have a chromosome test, do that. Semen analysis. If you need to do more advanced sperm testing, do that. And then I would sit down and make another consult with your IVF doctor. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of times what people do is they're not talking to their doctor. Well, with me, they are, but they're in a clinic setting where they just tell the nurse they want to do IUI. They're doing IUI. And then all of a sudden they go to IVF and then they start IVF, but they haven't sat down and talked to the doctor. Because you want to talk about, you know, what kind of prep you should be doing before your IVF cycle, what supplements should you be doing? Should you be changing certain medications that you're on? Should you be seeing a medical endocrinologist? Should your husband or sperm provider, you know, see a reproductive urologist? You know, those are all the things you want to do pre-cycle before the IVF cycle. And then once your cycle is done, you want to talk through how to prepare for your transfer. Don't just go right into transfer. I mean, you can, but you need to have the conversation as like, what are the do's and don'ts? Are there any extra tests I should do? Does my cavity look clear? You know, what protocol do you have me on? If this transfer didn't work, is there another protocol you should consider? Maybe we should consider that protocol first. Do I have enough embryos for the family size that I want before I do my transfer? And then when you're ready for your transfer, make sure you're not going to say this. This really wasn't a good time for me to have done the transfer. Mm. I probably should have listened to myself. And I hear that all the time where, well, not with me as a patient, as a doctor, because my patients won't do that to me. But I always say, just if this transfer doesn't work, will you say, I wish I hadn't transferred because this is a really stressful time in my life. You have to be able to say, I'm very excited to transfer. Everything is going very smoothly right now. I will have no regrets if I put this embryo in and it doesn't work. Mm. Okay. And then if the cycle doesn't work, follow up with your doctor. Don't expect. So for me, if a cycle doesn't work, you're getting a call from me that day. We're doing a follow-up call the next day or as soon as you're ready, but within a week at the very latest, you're talking to a therapist. Like that's something that I have all my patients do and we're making a plan. But I think I hear from other patients who are not mine. No one called me. No one set up an appointment. I'm like, you have to advocate. You pick up the phone. You say, I need to talk to the doctor. My cycle didn't work. Sadly, people are being booked out two or three months later. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how is this happening? Mm-hmm. But you have to advocate for yourself and say, that's not acceptable. So those are kind of like my overall tips for someone as to like how to have a, of course, not every cycle is going to be successful, but the key is to have it be a successful experience so that you can't look back and say, I wish I had this knowledge before I did my cycle. So if you go through all these steps, you're going to have all the knowledge before you start. Yeah. And again, it goes back to advocacy and advocating mm-hmm. for yourself. And that is part of advocating for yourself is, yeah. is yeah. doing that pre-education right. in preparation right. so that you are fully aware of what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. 
So I call it pre-planning the plan. Pre-plan the hell out of your plan. Don't just plan. (laughs) Pre-plan your plan. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate all that you are doing and helping to educate society, quite frankly, on all things reproduction. Thank you, Eloise. You're so fabulous. And thank you for all of the things that you do with your business, making people parents. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Eloise. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please rate Fertility Cafe on your favorite listening platform and share this episode with anyone you think could benefit from hearing it. Tune in next week for another amazing episode on Fertility Cafe. Until then, remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood.